Hello and welcome to the podcast, everyone. To the podcast. I just want to point out that we are the word on the hill. We are the podcast. And the podcast. And I mean, there are other podcasts. But they are existence, but but they are not us. Nope. And uh, my name is Father Peter Moss. My name is Scott Powell. And we're so excited that you've joined us. Um, (laughs) That was a strange opening. Did we say who we are? The lanky guys. Did we say lanky guys? There's a lot of identifications that have to happen in the beginning. Station identification. You are listening listening to to WKRP. WKRP. Well done. Yeah, in Cincinnati. Dude. I used to love that show. I... Um, can, I wanted to be a disc jockey when I was younger. My parents didn't have cable when I was younger, so I just saw reruns of things on Channel Two. Dude, Stanford, Sanford and Sons, dude. Stanford and Sons. Dude, that's exactly the right song. Thanks, <laughs> dude. Yeah. So this is a red letter day for us. The Jetsons. The Jetsons were the best, dude. As soon as you start talking about this stuff, the, the age that it feels inside of me. I starts. dream of genie. Did you dude, that one? Yeah, man. Bewitched. Yeah, man. Well, anyway, anyway, <laughs> there's, there's got to be a way to tie that in somehow, <laughs> right? We'll, we'll, we'll try to we'll do it later. It. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So 21st Sunday. At the ordinary time. In ordinal time, yeah. Ordinal numbers, first, second, third, fourth, fifth. Um, our first reading is from Yeshua. We're just going for it. Um, chapter 24, verses okay. 1 to 2a, 15, 17, and 18b. It's a little chopped up today. Dude, you know what this feels like? Chop suey. Yeah, do you know that chop suey is an invented um, Chinese dish for Americans? No, really? Yes, it is. And it, all, it's like it's oh, like the biggest culinary man. joke in the world. I, they just had it on 99% Invisible, another great podcast. Is it as big of a culinary joke as the Americano? <laughs> which is just Europeans' way of mocking our coffee? Yeah, by putting water in espresso. Right. <laughs> 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 ha the Americans. <laughs> they just drink water in coffee. I don't know. Those are two pretty good. But chop suey just means cut up pieces. <laughs> the Americans can't cut their own food. They're just like, ha Is that Russian? I think no. my accent was but, Russian. But, they, but they, they were like, oh, they like sweet and savory so they just made sweet and savory stuff for Americans for their palate. I'm not complaining. I'm not either, just to man. get that out there. Dude, it's like, give me some pad thai and some chop suey. So, Speaking of responsorial psalms, ours is taste and see <laughs> the goodness of the Lord. Hey. Which, week number three, of that we have the exact same psalm. No, so I looked back and the st- first strophe is the same. The strophes are different this and week. And then, then they add the other strophes. Yeah, this week to... we're continuing on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, so the we're in strophe psalm... is over, the battle done. <laughs> <laughs> oh. This psalm is lasting forever. It's fun. Psalm 34, verses 2 to 3, which is familiar to all of us. Uh, then we're jumping to 16 through 17, 18 through 19, and 20 through 21. And the responsicle coming from verse 9. 9a. 9A. Yeah, 9A. And then, then the we have uh, the second reading yep. thrown in there just to just to, uh, just to make sure that you got a lot to talk <laughs> about. Let's <laughs> have the most controversial mass ever. Yeah, dude. Uh, Ephesians, longer form is Ephesians 5, 21 to 32. Shorter form is 5, 2A to 2532, which is um, is the truncated version. Truncated. I like the word truncated. Dude, I do too. And uh, honestly, I think I'm going with the truncated version this weekend. Don't tell them that. We always make a point of talking about how we always do the long form. I, I always do long form, but you know what? Except today. Yeah, but, and I'll tell you why when we are when we get there. All right, we'll get there. Okay. Our gospel is John chapter 60. Nope, not at all. Chapter John 60. chapter 6, <laughs> verses 60 through 69. Is this the end of the Bread of Life discourse? I think it is, right? 
Yeah, yeah, this is the this is the this, this is, the is it. This is the capstone. Well, I don't know if it's the capstone. They, it's the goes end. to goes to seventy one actually, but really, we, well, but technically, but tech, we're we're done. Techne, techno. That means someone who works with rocks and stonemasonry. Yeah, which which is interesting. Speaking of when Jeff. we listen to techno and EDM, what's EDM? It rocks. What's EDM? Electronic dance like music. <laughs> Don't look at me like I should obviously know that. Dude, come on. Dude, we live in the age of EDM, man. No, we don't. This is the, like this is the summit. This is the high point of EDM. I don't even know what that means. I don't either, man. Yeah, you do. Okay. No. Shechem. Shechem. So there there I was in Shechem. Shechem, dude, and and dude, check it. It Shechem. Shechem <laughs> and Shechem. Dude, there's um, so many things you can like like make cool like slam poetry out of Shechem. Maybe. I can't think of any. The first, the Shechem, the third. <laughs> Who do you oh think gosh. I am, man? I'm part of the herd, oh or am God. I the leader? <laughs> I am a bleeder because I cut myself with my razor. It's like a phaser, and I'm <laughs> trying to get Keep back going, into man. phase. I like this. This is good. I'm trying to see through the haze in this reading. Is there? A ha- from, are you hazy? Yeah, okay. from the bleeding. <laughs> do you know what Shechem means? Um, it's not. It's uh, a body it's, part. It's not an ordinal no, number. No, it's a body part. Really? Yeah. What is Shechem? Shoulder. It's the shoulder. And what it and I I've had I've read a number of things and I've had a number of teachers who sort of said this and took it for granted. Oh, it's called shoulder because it's between two mountains. And I've heard that so many times. I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then I thought about it today. I was like, wait, what? It means shoulder, but it's between two mountains. What, I don't know what, what one has to do with the other. What What do we normally call like a like Grays and a Tories? Valley? A Grays and Tories between a saddle. A saddle. It's not really a saddle, though. It's literally in a, the bottom of a valley between two mountains. Anyway, it's called the shoulder. That's so they're there at the shoulder. That's really <laughs> interesting. I wonder. I wonder how it got the name. I don't know. That's probably it shows up a lot, and we could probably I could probably dig in a little bit and find that out. I just don't know off the top of my head. I don't either. Anyway, I started, I started down a road I can't really complete. So let's <laughs> let's go back back to the shoulder, which is which is funny because what is a road a, a, a place with, that has a shoulder? You're going down oh. a road. I bet you it's on the side of the road. I bet you it's a it's the reason why it's called Shechem is because it's it's literally as you're going, it's on the side of the road. It's the side of the road town. It's this. It's not though. Okay, so sort I'm of lying. It. Well, it's an event. Okay. I'm lying. No, no, you're not lying. You I'm just can't speculating. Good to do. Um, <laughs> what's the? Oh, dying. You're not dying. You're not dying. You just can't think. Thank you. So this is this is an important Ferris. passage. Thank you, Cameron. Um, where's my train of thought? It left. The when sta- Cameron it left the was in Shechem land, let my Cameron, Cameron go. go. So this is the end of Joshua's life. And one principle that we need to remember, whenever you see the dying words are sort of the last words of a major biblical figure, they require great attention, right? This is a big Truth. deal. Like when Moses gives his final speech. When when anybody uh, in a movie is dying and talks to somebody. Ah, yes. They get, they, the, they get the last breath. Yep. Look under the tree. <laughs> Look under the... And then it, it always comes out. Um, Joshua's like, follow only... You don't know who tells to follow. Baal, <laughs> Egypt, Pharaoh, we don't know. Okay. Uh, this is his final speech, and it's at the end of the book of Joshua. The little context is actually important here. So he's gathering all the tribes, the 12 tribes, together at this place called Shechem, which is someplace we've seen before. Shechem has shown up a number of other places. And what we're getting here is essentially round number three 
of professing fidelity to the covenant that God has given them. Mm. So we basically had this scene, remember, at the end of Moses's life where he says, this is all of the commands of God. These are all the laws. Um, we're going to read them together. Remember where they stood at Shechem. Half, so Shechem, it's significant geographically because it's in between these two mountains called um, Gerizim and Ebal. Do you remember that? We've talked about this before. And I can't, I'm blanking on which one's which. I think Gerizim is incredibly lush and has all this plant life and foliage. It's green and beautiful. And the other one, I think it's Ebal, although I might be mixing them up, is barren and dirt and gravel and has nothing growing on it. It was was like a daddy Ebala. Kind of, it's Ebald. Of oh, that's how I always think of it. Evolved. But, but no, yeah, we, we've talked about it because of the way that the um the the currents and the geography work that it that one gets kind all of, yeah. the rain and the other one doesn't. So in Moses's time, he actually had half the tribe stand on Mount Gerizim and the other half stand on Mount Ebal, and one half of them would proclaim, "Okay, if we're faithful, we're going to have all of these blessings." And they're standing in the midst of all the abundance and fruit and foliage and flowers and plants. If we're faithful, we're going to be like this. And then the other half would say, and if we are unfaithful, we're going to be cursed in all of these ways. And they read off all the curses while standing on, you know, the the deserted mountain. So they sort of embodied in the geography, the blessings and the curses, if we're faithful or unfaithful. So that happened in the time of Moses. Then as they're going into the promised land, remember when they crossed the Jordan, Joshua has the ratification ceremony. So he does this again. They gather at Shechem and they're like, okay, this are the, this is the commands of God. This is Deuteronomy. This is our constitution. Constitution. This is what he's asked of us. We are going to be faithful. And all these things we will do, right? So they ratify it in Joshua 8. Now it's the end of the book of Joshua. So what's happened in between? Well, what's happened in between is, remember, they came into the promised land. The, the Exodus generation is dead. They've passed away because of their unfaithfulness. Uh, they didn't trust God. They didn't believe that he was going to do the things that he promised. So they all died off. Joshua leads a new generation of Israelites into the promised land. They cross the Jordan. Remember the whole Jericho thing. They fight for the land. Uh, they allot for all the tribes, these 12 territories. But if you read the intervening chapters, they do a terrible job of taking the Holy Land. And there's so many, the saints had a field day with all of the spiritual allegories in the book of Joshua, because there's all of these tribes that, you know, you have, you know, the tribe of, I think it's Judah who starts off, you know, really fighting for the land. Like God has promised us this and we're going to be faithful. And then other tribes, they'll make compromises and they kind of get comfy with all the sin in the land and they make compromises with the gods. One tribe, I think it's Dan actually loses their part of the promised land at one point because they're totally defeated. And it's the story of taking what God has given us and basically blowing it, taking all of this giftedness that he's given us and these riches and making compromises and falling into sin and not being faithful and losing it. And it, it the story kind of ends with, okay, we kind of have the promised land now, but we made a lot of compromises along the way and we lost a lot of battles and there's been a lot of bloodshed and we're kind of successful and we're kind of not successful, but here we are. We're home sort of, right? And then at the end, that's where, Joshua goes through and he's like, all right, we need to go back and remind ourselves of this covenant because God has promised us all of these things. So they go through Deuteronomy again and he gathers them and he's like, look, if it does not please you to serve the Lord, then decide who you're going to serve because you have spent the last however many years it's been basically saying we're going to kind of serve God, but then we're going to kind of serve all this other stuff as well. Either our fear or our own pride or our compromise or whatever it is. So if you're not going to serve God, then choose who you're going to serve because you can't just either serve God or serve nothing. You're going to serve yourself. You're going to serve some other idol. You're going to, you're going to do something. So you need to make a decision. 
Your ancestors made a decision. You made a decision before we started this, and now you need to remind yourself of that. And so what we're, what we're actually losing in these verses, what we don't read, is Joshua going back and telling the whole story of salvation history and saying, don't forget all of this. And he goes through piece by piece. This is what happened. This is what Moses did. This is how God provided. This is everything that we've seen. So knowing all that, you've got to make a decision. And then the people who are clearly deluded and don't remember literally what they've just been doing have this great line. They're like, far be it from us to forsake the Lord. Like, there's no way we would ever forsake the Lord, right? And for the service of other gods, for it was the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. He performed these great miracles that you just talked about, Joshua. He protected us. So we're going to serve the Lord. He's our God. Far be it from us. We would never do anything like that. Which is so, it's, you only get the full irony if you know where this comes in the story, which is after this pretty utter disaster of taking the promised land and trusting God. Mm. And they're like, no, we would never do that. Because it's so easy, and we can go a million directions with this, it's so easy to get to a place of relative comfort and like, okay, we're not fighting those battles anymore. We're fine. We have our houses. We've built our homes. We have land. We're comfortable now. And it's really easy to forget all the sins of our past and where we've come from and how difficult it was. Mm-hmm. Like, everything's great now. Of course we're going to be faithful, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So that, that's where we are. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's really, as one whose job it is to get people to decide for the Lord, mm. um, I look and I understand that place within my own soul how easy it is to just kind of let comfort or let something else or um, rest or some sort of idol that I have in my mind yeah. start to want to serve that. I mean, like like you can get so busy doing the things of the Lord yeah. that you forget the Lord, that yes. you're serving the Lord and you're not just doing these things. I mean, it's like yeah. as, a, as a priest, it's, it's easy as I, and I'm going along and I'm like, oh, I can, you know, living for the weekend is what I, I would mm. call it. It's, it's Which is ironic given your job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> living for the Monday. <laughs> living for Monday. <laughs> Which is just this thing to where, where you can get into that vibe mm. where, where it, it, it's like, what are you going to serve? Yeah. Are you going to serve the Lord and say yes? Are you going to become a yes man towards the Lord? Mm. Or, or are you going to try to start to serve something else that's, that, that, mm. that may not even be intrinsically evil? Right. I mean, because you have those things that you start to say, you, you know, like, yeah, I look good. around and I, I can see lots of people. Now, this, the, the problem is, is that, um, you know, um, if you're not serving the Lord, then you've opened yourself to getting manipulated by the evil one. Absolutely. And that that's actually, the, that's that's why that's why this decision is like the gods of other land. It's like for, for them, they could say, okay, you know what? We're, how are we gonna do that? We're gonna live the lifestyle of those around us rather than to say, no, I'm gonna be really intentional. And that is, that's a trap for all of us. Here's what I keep coming back to. And I, I, don't, I don't wanna make this all about the scandals. Again, right. we mentioned that last week, and I don't want to dwell on it, but I can't escape. Right. What You just had a line. The The trick of the evil one is what? Something? Is to get you to live like the people around you. The other trick of the evil one. Because if, if, 
if you're not serving the Lord, yeah. then he starts to manipulate you right. in, in whatever. And, and I mean, really, right. he doesn't have us worship false gods. He has us worship ourselves. Absolutely. As gods. As gods. false. As false <laughs> yeah, gods. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Yeah, like Absolutely. Just worship your own desire. Absolutely. Obey your own thirst. Yep. Which is all sorts of other idols packed into that, like, like power and wealth and comfort or whatever it is. Like, if you right. just work hard enough, you can be comfortable or powerful or... Whatever, fill in the famous. blank. But the way that he often does that, famous been, in, on Instagram, famous, you know, insta famous. But the way that we've been talking about this and thinking about this, and again, I keep thinking of the scandals. His other tool of manipulation is to get us to forget the past, which is why uh, Joshua makes takes such care to not only remind them of salvation history. This is where you've come from, mm. but also of their own sins, which are all pretty fresh. And I think a lot of our problem in our church is that thinking that, okay, well, yeah, things happened in the past and there were all these things, but they're not really happening now and we're kind of comfortable now and everyone's kind of forgotten about that. So let's just, let's just let it be instead of actually confronting our sin. I mean, this is the beauty of confession. We have this sacrament, which forces us, which when I was younger, I thought confession was this tool to just embarrass us and shame us into not doing bad stuff Mm -hmm. rather than, no, it's this wonderful tool to just get you to own up. You got to face your past. You have to face your past. You have to name it. And then, and only then can you move on. Right. You can't just get comfortable, sweep it under the rug and be like, well, that's back there. That's in the past. I'm not going to think about that anymore, which you can think about that in the modern sense and all these ways that it's coming up in our own church, but it's the same thing they're doing in the time of Joshua. They're like, well, yeah, we made a bunch of compromises and we worship a bunch of false gods, but that was in the past and we don't have to worry about that. And we're, we're basically okay now. And things are, are kind of okay. They're not thriving. They're not living the life that God has for them. They're doing okay right. because they made a bunch of compromises along the way to get there. And, Moses, and Joshua was like, no, you can't. That's not how it works. Choose today who you're going to serve. And if you're going to serve God, then you actually have to come face to face and renounce all that other stuff right? and get rid of it. Right. And then it can be really in the past. There's a difference between dwelling on things from the past, which is not healthy either, mm-hmm. but also just facing it and being like, this is what I've done. Right. And I'm sorry. And I need mercy and I need forgiveness. And then we can move on. And that's what Israel doesn't seem to be willing to do here. To me. You know, I, I was thinking about, uh, uh, in every age, you have saints who come around, and one of their primary goals is reform of the clergy. Absolutely, because because <laughs> yeah. there's there, there's something about living as a celibate person, mm. um, as a, in a secular society, and even as monks. I mean, it can happen in monasteries as well too, to where it's just it's just easy to let it creep in, it's just just serving something other than the Lord and serving food. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's that's why we have all these anonymous programs: Sexaholics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, yeah. you know, Narcotics Anonymous. It's yeah. so easy, like because what happens is that you start to compromise and you serve these other things. And so, I just think that it's like it's like I, when I grew up, my dad had a, a sign on our uh, on our uh, mantle that just says, "As for me and my household, we shall serve the Lord." Which is from this, we have a pillow that somebody embroidered for us <laughs> that has that, yeah, which yeah. I love. I really do love that line. Yeah, I was thinking about getting a neck tattoo. Just I like, think that's a good, the, you idea. know, like that seems like the, the right thing to do. Kind of like graffiti script, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> As for me and my neck, 
And then I'm just going to get into like a, like a Benedict Benedict's metal tear tattooed, just like super small in my. All right. These are jokes, by the Here way, in go. case Here you're wondering, do kids don't not do that. I'm not going to do that either. Speaking of tasting and seeing the goodness of the Lord. <laughs> well, it, it is funny because you mentioned that the strophes sort of shift to the, the latter half of the psalm this time. Right. Which are a little bit, little bit darker. So, I mean, the first half, we talked about this being David after he escaped from... Uh, uh, Amalek, King Amalek, I think, right? The Philistinian king. The pa- Philistine king. <laughs> Philistinian, I called him. Philistinian. <laughs> but, and, and so the first part is all about the Lord has saved me, taste and see the goodness, praise God, thank you, this is wonderful, I'm safe. But then he kind of, in the latter part of the psalm, goes to like, but there is recompense for those who have done evil. And God has brought me out and he will always protect me and he will always save me. But there's also justice and there's also punishment. We have to come face to face. The Lord confronts evildoers to destroy remembrance of them from the earth. When the just cry out, the Lord hears them. And from their distress, he rescues them. He's close to the broken heart of those who are crushed in spirit. He saves. This is a call to reckoning with not just God is going to pull me out of the mire when I call to him. Yes, but there's also going to be consequences for evil that has come before. And that's part of what I think Joshua was trying to remind Israel of. Like, look, you guys, you have to come face to face with your sin, uh, face to face with all the stuff that brought you here before you can actually be honest about what you're saying. You're saying all this stuff, but you're saying it while not actually remembering what really happened. Mm. And until you can do that, the Lord's not going to pull you forward, which I think there's a very interesting way, and I might be pulling at straws here. There's an interesting way I think this relates to... um, the uh, bread of life discourse in John. Hmm. We'll get there in a sec. Cause I have a thought on that, that I'd, I'd never seen this before and it might be stretching it, but I've got an idea on that. And I, I was thinking too, cause uh, on our uh, Norland library here in Boulder, there's a, uh, there's a quote and it says, uh, it, well, it should, it reads, who knows his only generation, who knows their own, uh, like, it really is supposed to say he who knows only their generation remains, but a child, but they tried to make it um, gender neutral. Did they? Because, it's perfectly centered, right? Which means if they took off the he, they no, would have no, had no. to redo the entire thing. No, no, I don't think they took the he off. I think no. that they just tried to like genderly neutral it from the beginning. From the beginning, which even in like the thirties, they were already. I don't know if it's ahead of their the time. 30s. I don't know the thirties. The thirties. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. On. But it's supposed to say, "He who knows his only generation remains but a child." Only his own generation. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know. No, I love it. it's a words. it's a great quote though. I think it's a great quote, but I think that that's it. It's like, how do we go back to remember? Because, yes. uh, like, I when I'm talking to people who are struggling in the midst of sin, I try to bring them back to real grace to mm. remember the graces that have have actually landed them, mm. so that they can remember that God has not abandoned them. Yes. Because because so much of my own sin and so much of the sin is when I get afraid that God's will isn't real mm. and that somehow I'm making it up and it's all dependent upon me and and it's all these lies and machinations of the evil one where yeah. I can say no God that's why it's like it's basic evangelism. God has a plan for your life. Yeah. It is a good plan. How do we discover that plan? We have to look at the narrative of your life and try to understand and to read how has he done the things that he has done and so that we can be inspired and trust again because yeah. otherwise what what is the relationship what is the relationship it's just some sort of thing that god's like who is god and so mm-hmm. we need to remember that he loves us so um, well, speaking of which that actually is a good segue into ephesians now okay ephesians we talked about so i 
The only reason I'm frustrated, and I think you expressed some frustration. <laughs> frustrated, I don't even know if that's the right term. This is this this really difficult, con- it's not controversial, I mean, it's perfectly straightforward, but people, it ruffles feathers, let's put it that way, uh, well, about well, wives being subordinate to their husbands. And- what, what what happens is, so this is this is one of those things. I... I have been doing. I met like a, a nearly 170 couples that I prepared for marriage in my priesthood, so I've gotten a chance to per see semester. per semester. <laughs> I've gotten to see over the last 12 years um, how the contemporary understanding of woman and man has changed over time. Okay. Um, and so I um like one of the things that, I, that I'm finding stronger and stronger women. Mm. And um, much more gentle men. Okay, I'm finding men are a little bit more submissive. Okay, and women are a little bit more leading. Okay, um, just culturally. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Over the last twelve years, sure. and so, so one of the things though is, is I look and I look at the curse of Eve at the beginning. Oh, Eve. And and Eve, one of the curses is your desire is going to be for your man, and he is going to lord it over you. Mm. And and so in a certain sense, what, I'm, what I see in, in culture now is a real secular, uh, an honest secular attempt to work that out, to say, how can we no longer have men, I see women ask this question in a deep sense, how can we no longer have men lord over us our desire for them? Yeah. How and and this is the thing is women are, are made to be capable. Men take tremendous risks in a in a in a real deep deep way. That's always been kind of part of the nature of man. It's like mm. you know you go out and you you hunt and you're gonna get killed by the boar and we we would go out to war and we fight each other and we get killed and so how is society gonna go on? And sometimes we do it on boats. Sometimes we which do. Which we have oars. So really, it's boars, wars, and oars. <laughs> is that what you're getting at? Is that the theme of this podcast? Dude, that boars, wars, and oars, that's awesome. Sorry, I just had to get a three. That was beautiful. <laughs> that was a trifecta of glory. Well. But so, so this is the thing, is that women have always been capable to run the entirety of society. They're built and made for that, and we need them in, yeah. in, the, in the core. But it, it comes down to how do we relate as men and women? And so when you say, wives, be subordinate to your husbands, um, it, it's... It, it, what happens is it triggers something inside, I think, um, in a contemporary way that that preys upon this ancient curse of woman. Sure. The, the, sure. Uh, of saying he, you're gonna your desire is gonna be for your man and he's gonna lord it over you and you're like, oh gosh, but I don't see how this is healing. You know what I'm saying? Mm, like I it's like so. it's like no, I'm a leader and I'm I'm not gonna you know what? No, I'm not. This isn't what I'm gonna do. This isn't what I'm about. But I find a, a lot of I mean, when, when things are ordered orderly, like this is the thing is it, is it we have no problem the second half of Ephesians. Men, yeah, 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 right. Die for your wives. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and ladies are like, "Yep, that's yep. right. You, you best, you know, you got to serve. Mama ain't happy. Nobody's happy." And so, so I, I find that it, that that that's part of the reason. Uh, that's one reason I see um, in a deeper sense. I, nobody ever articulates this. No, but it's it's an observation that I have. That's a risky observation to make. It is, but it's. I think it's. I think it's real. I mean, the, the, of course, there's the. He begins the whole little piece here about being subordinate to one another. So he's talking about a mutual, right? But the other, the other thing that I think, because I think you're right on track. The other thing that's happening culturally, 
And I, I assume it's happening in Ephesus. We know what's happening in a lot of the rest of the Greco-Roman world because we know it from a lot of Paul's encounters and relationships and things that are going on. But it tends to be the case early in the church, especially in the Greco-Roman world, that there's a lot of women from wealthy families who are jumping on board with the church, right? And they are becoming believers and benefactors of the church. We have historical documents about that attest to this, right? But I wonder if there's a sense, so we get that there's a lot of wealthy, powerful women who are becoming Christian and following after and giving money to help support and build the church. But I wonder if there's also a sense of like, okay, now that you've become a Christian, you there is this sort of idea in, in this societal point of view of like, well, my husband doesn't really matter. He's not a believer. Who really cares what he does? Mm-hmm. And now I'm kind of going to move on. Right. And I think Paul, there's a level of Paul reminding these people like, well, that's, that's, this is great, but don't leave him in the dust. Like you still have a responsibility to him and he still is the head of the family. I mean, you actually have this um, sort of benefit that now that you know Jesus and you're a Christian, this sort of changes things, but you can't just pretend he's not a part of the equation anymore. You can't just pretend because now you've moved on, you understand who you are in Jesus, that you're going to live as though you're not married any longer, which I think is actually happening in the Greco-Roman world because there's enough power and influence and all sorts of things that this is just kind of taking place. And Paul Paul tends to be popular with the ladies. That just tends to be the, not because of, you know, any... He was short and bald, thing, dude. I know, but his message is. Yeah. So I think that's a part of it too. But but here's what I keep coming back to. So I think all of this is there. These are all right. But, but, right. Okay, say go for it. Well, because because this is this is the midst of the thing is like, why does he say? Why does you don't ever offer a corrective unless something's happening? Yes, that's true. Absolutely. So 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 we what we're seeing is that we see wives who are not being subordinate to their absolutely, and we see probably husbands who are not being faithful to their wives and and who are not willing to be like Christ, who who are living in a selfish capacity. So you're seeing both of these, or else Paul wouldn't bother to say it, right? Which is gets us back to what what we see in the first part where we say, who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve? the Lord, or are you going to serve yourself? Yes, that's exactly and, it. And I'm so, going to do it on my own, Right, is when, the point of the first reading, right? Right, which is, so what What you see here is you see a corrective to say the gift of the other. Which, Paul, I mean, and this is where I keep coming back to, because I, I there's a part of me that's like, man, I don't, I don't want to get into all this stuff, because there's this bigger picture of the of, of Old Testament Israel, and the Bread of Life discourse, and all of these bigger things that are going on. I want to talk about husbands and wives right now. Because there's a lot to be said, but this is where I, I didn't really notice this before, but reading through, Paul's saying all this stuff, right? But then he gets to the end, and he's been, he's been talking about this really complicated relationship between men and women. And he says, hey, this is a really big mystery, which is one of the truest things that's ever been said in the scriptures. <laughs> this is a big mystery, but I'm talking about it in reference to Christ and the church. Did you catch that at the end? Mm. He's like, this is a thing, and this right. needs to be reconciled, and this needs to be reckoned with and dealt with and wrestled with, and that's true. But... I'm talking about Christ in the church right now, which was my little key for the readings of like, oh, wait a second. He just used men and women as this sort of analogy about faithfulness and following and not, not making ourselves our own gods. I'm like, oh, he's using this tumultuous, often struggle-ridden relationship between men and women to say, but this is the tendency. Look at it in light of the first reading. Look at it in light of the gospel. And what we have there is readings that are dealing with that infidelity. Infidelity in the first reading, Israel has not been faithful to their bride who has gone and done all of these things, who is saying, trust me, I'm leading you to a certain place. You have Jesus who is our bridegroom saying, you don't understand what's going on, but I need you to trust me and move forward. And a bride who is the church in the case of the gospel is like, I don't know if I'm going to follow you. 
because my way seems a little bit less confusing than yours. Which is interesting because Ephesians gets to an attitudinal level. Yes. It's talking about attitude. I like the word attitudinal. 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 It's an attitudinal level. It's saying that um, that that in your attitude, this is actually how it's supposed to look between Christ and His Church, and yeah. that I'm going to use the, the 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 structure of man and woman so that I can help uh, to like grasp this because. Um, I mean, uh, like, like statistically now, sixty percent of women initiate divorce, and divorces sixty percent right? of them are initiated by women, oh. which is interesting because if we if the mystery of the church in Christ, it's not like like yeah. this is the thing is mm. that we we look and how much of it is us moving away from God, rather rather than it tends to be the case that in, in most people who leave the church, it's the church who leaves God, and God rarely leaves us. Right. <laughs> God, that was meant to be funnier and wittier and yeah, I, more I, cute than I was, it came out. It I was trying really. to use the six percent, and, and neither of us could no, get it. Because get ultimately, there. it's like because it's, it's so abs- that's how absurd it sounds. Of course, he's not going to be unfaithful, like, right? So you can't it, even make a joke about it because it's so well. And and this is what's so powerful is 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 that does a man hate his own body? And so we're seeing, and he's mm. saying, does Jesus hate his own body as if he's going to like right. go and. He's right. gonna he's gonna be the Tanner from One Night Ultimate Werewolf and try to get himself killed. <laughs> That's a really obscure geeky joke. But like, well, I no, get it though. I get that one. Yeah, yeah, I know like, that one. Yeah, it's like no. Is he gonna try to get himself killed just because he's kind of like this masochistic guy? And yeah. you're listening and you're like, oh no, that which is how a lot Christ. of people see Christ though, and, and that, what Christians think that they're called to. Right. But that Jesus did that and and he says no, he loved his own he loved his flesh. He loved yes. the gift of what it meant to be embodied. And that's where it brings us cuz we're almost out of time. You got to go. Yes, sir. But that's where it brings us back to this kind of uh, culmination of the whole bread of life discourse where where you know, we we and I like the way the readings are set up in the sense that we just had this very uh, kind of difficult reading about marriage. And then the first lines of the gospel are, then many of Jesus' listeners, who were, uh, disciples who were listening said, this is hard. Who can accept it? Right. And the priest is probably like, yeah, that's my whole congregation right now. And Jesus knew that they were murmuring about this. And he's like, does this, and what he's talking about is the whole, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's like, does this shock you? He's like, if you can't handle this, then how, what are you going to do when you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? What are you going to do when the crucifixion happens? Mm. And I rise from the dead and everything gets mm. blown up. If you can't handle this much, then there's no way you're going to be able to understand what is coming next. Because right. what's coming next is so far beyond what you can even imagine that if you can't understand this piece that you get to play in it, then holy mackerel... Um, he got, I, I just have to note, and I don't want, we don't have time to get into it. He says, it's the spirit that gives life while the flesh is of no avail. If there's one go-to line I've heard my Protestants, my Protestant friends go to, to tear apart the bread of life discourse, it's this. Where they're like, well, you Catholics, you know, you're, Jesus says all these things about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. But then he says, look, the flesh is of no avail, which is essentially Jesus saying, no, it was all a metaphor. The flesh is worthless. That's not what I'm talking about. It's the spirit. It's an analogy. It's spiritual. And then he says, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Right. But, but of course, the word sarks, which means flesh, can be used in different ways. And Jesus isn't saying, no, what I just meant is meaningless or said is meaningless. He's saying you're thinking of it in a fleshly, merely human way. Sarks can either be, you know, Paul uses it sometimes to mean our sinful, fallen human nature. Jesus often uses it to mean simply the body. 
And it's uh, Greek is a weak language, so one word can mean a lot of different things. I call it rich. It's yes, that's one <laughs> that says something about our personalities, probably. But he's saying, no, you're thinking about it in merely an earthly, fleshly level. You need to be thinking about it as your flesh, your your humanity, informed by the spirit. That's his juxtaposition. Right. So well, it's important to note that. Well, I mean, it's it's like this. Are we just talking about bread here? Are you talking about me, you eating my bicep? Right, right. You know? Right, that's it. Yeah, or, exactly or, right. Or are we actually talking Spirit about- Spirit and life. Right, or yes. are we talking about the reason why Israel couldn't drink the blood is because mm. you took on the spirit of the animal. The lifeblood, and, yeah, and, and that's a lesser reality than humanity. And so the only possible way we could eat something of, of flesh in its blood, we would be taking on a higher form that would elevate us, not that's to it. diminish us and degrade us. Which they don't get yet. And a bunch of people wholesale take off the jet. But here's the capstone. It says, as a result of this, this is how it ends. Many of the disciples return to the former way of life. They jet, they're gone. They don't accompany him. And then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to leave? And Simon Peter answered, master, who, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Oftentimes in my just talking about this passage, I almost make it too crude. And I put the words in Peter's mouth of like, we don't have a clue what you're talking about, Jesus, but we don't know where else to go. I do that sometimes to kind of you know, make fun of, of Peter and maybe shock. But that's really not what he says. He doesn't say we don't understand. He clearly doesn't understand. But he simply says, Master, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. He has made the choice that Joshua sets up. Joshua, yeah, Yeshua have, means Jesus. Right. We have Choose. come to believe. Right. But here's the thing. Even what the, they profess, what Israel professes in Joshua, why do you remember why they say they believe that they will follow? They say we're going to follow the Lord. As for me and my, well, the Joshua says as for me and my, my house. The rest of Israel says no, we will follow the Lord. Far be it from us to follow anyone else. Why though? What's their reasoning? Do you remember? No. It says because we saw all the miracles. We saw the crossing, or we heard about the crossing of the Red Sea. We saw his faithfulness. We oh, yeah, saw yeah, yeah, the yeah. miracles. Yeah, we we remember, remember our history. Do you remember why Jesus is mad at this group of people at the beginning of the Bread of Life discourse? Because they saw the signs. They ate the bread. They're filled with the bread. They only followed him because you saw the miracles. And I'm actually calling you to something deeper. Israel in the first reading only professes their belief because we saw a bunch of stuff, right? which is okay. That's a, that's a step. God uses that to bring us into deeper relationship, but it's not enough. Peter is saying, I don't get any of the signs anymore. I don't understand the miracles. I don't understand what you're saying. I'm following you, not because of what I saw, not because my belly is filled, but simply because you are who you say you are. Mm. Even if I don't understand, this is Peter now being subordinate and following Christ as his bridegroom. Even in that moment, he's like, I don't know where I'm following you to, but I love you. And so I follow, which is a great model for marriage. If there is real faithfulness in a marriage of saying, I'm confused right now, but I know you. And I don't know where our life is headed. And I'm not sure what the next step is. And what happens if you leave your job and take that job? Or if we move across the country, or if our children are facing these circumstances? I don't know, but I know you. And so we will go together. Right. And that all of a sudden then brings this all full circle. Because Peter is not like yes. the disciples at the beginning of the story. He's not like Old Testament Israel. He's simply saying, I don't see anything. It's not that I'm here because of the signs or my belly being filled. I don't get anything but I get you. I don't even fully get you, but I trust you and I love you. And so I will follow you. Yes. And that's his true 
fidelity and the subordination, which is all of these readings trying to basically drive us in a funnel to that point. Mm. I don't care if you get the readings or not. Do you know and do you love Jesus? Okay, great. Follow him. Right. Which is what Peter has the career. I mean, I've written this line off so many times of like, well, Peter just kind of, I don't know what else to do. But that is not what he says. Right. He says, I choose you. Choose this day who you will serve. I choose you, Jesus. Even though you actually don't make any sense to me at this moment, I still choose you. That is a profound act of faith. Which I think, again, is where all the readings have been leading us. Dang. Dang. That was good. It's kind of cool. It's really cool. That was really powerful. <sighs> I feel I feel um, invigorated and tired simultaneously. <laughs> That's the right emotion. By the, by the beauty of what that was just said. It's like, Lord, I just need I just need you to take me in your arms now and always and yeah. care for me as your beloved because I give myself over to you entirely. And I've got nowhere else to go. Not because there's no other options. But it's because if I really do love you, there's nowhere else I can go. Right. Which is, yeah, Peter's not just saying, I don't have any other options right now. He's got plenty of other options. Mm. He can go back to be a fisherman. He can follow the rest of that crowd. He can do whatever he wants to. He doesn't choose those other options. He chooses today to serve the Lord, who he does not understand yet. Well, so may we all do the same. <laughs> go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Love we you. God you bless time. you. Bye-bye, for everybody. Us. <laughs> Bye. at the same time. Yeah, Bye-bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. You can find the Lanky Guys at lankyguys.org, and you can send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.